All right. Well, good evening. It's good to see all of you. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're glad that you're here. And uh, tonight we will is the last night of our follow-up questions to the study of Revelation. So we will wrap everything up tonight, uh, the final one. And uh, we have some questions tonight on heaven, uh, four of them that we're going to look specifically at. This is session number 31 of our Revelation study. And so uh, if you would like a flash drive of all of the sessions, please let us know. I think most of you will let us know that you would like one, and those will be ready in a couple of weeks. Uh, but tonight, as I said, session 31, and it's the final session. Uh, next Wednesday night, um, many of you will be on a plane with me and my family to uh, Israel, and so we leave next Wednesday morning early. And so next Wednesday night here, uh, Brother Tim Franks, our associate pastor, will teach next Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night because we'll be gone uh, for two Wednesday nights to Israel. Uh, and so Tim will be teaching on December 7th and December the 14th. The following Wednesday, December the 21st, we will not have Wednesday night services, but we will have the Christmas Eve uh, Lord's Supper services on December 24th and on 25th as well, which is Sunday. So Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year, uh, we will be having both identical services, 24th and 25th. You can come to either one, both if you want, but, you, but either one, either or. So that takes us through the Wednesdays of 2022. And then starting January the 11th of next, uh, 2023, we'll start looking at Zechariah, chapter by chapter, verse by verse on Wednesday nights. And that's the Old Testament revelation. So you're going to find that to be interesting as well, especially after we've been through the New Testament revelation to now look back at Zechariah. I think that you're going to find that to be of interest as well. And that will be starting on January the 11th. So let's pray together and we'll look at the questions tonight that have been posed to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, God, for your love for us that you demonstrated through Jesus Christ we celebrate this time of year, his incarnation becoming one of us so that, Lord, we can have a Savior and we can have hope, we can have forgiveness of sins, and we're so thankful for Jesus. And God, we're also thankful for the book of Revelation and thankful for heaven, a home that you have prepared for us. God, we don't understand all that we know uh, about it, but we do know it's going to be good. And we know that, God, you've told us, given us bits and pieces of what heaven will be like. And so bless us tonight. As we look into that, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, uh, turn <clears throat> one passage I do want to just remind you of. We've already read it, Revelation 22, 1 through 5, last chapter of the, uh, of the Bible. And we're going to look at Revelation uh, 22, 1 through 5 as a reminder that will lead us into the four questions that we will look at tonight that will wrap up our study. By far, the most questions I got from you and from people online concerning Revelation, concern the two Wednesdays that we studied heaven. We have a lot of questions about heaven, don't we? And so you ask a lot of questions about heaven. We have loved ones who are there. We have people that we love, know and love dearly who are there. What are they doing? What, what are we going to get to do one day? What's it like? Uh, is it less than an existence than here? Well, we know it's not. But sometimes we talk about heaven in that way, and so tonight we're going to look at four questions that people have about heaven that you've asked primarily from the study that, um, that we looked at in, in the book of Revelation. So, four questions tonight. Will we know each other in heaven? It's question number one. Question number two, what's going to be there? Uh, what's it going to be like? 
Uh, third question is going to be, what is daily life like there? Uh, what's a day in heaven like? And then the last question is, what keeps boredom out of heaven? What keeps heaven from being boring? So we're going to look at those four questions that we received from, from you and others that email me. And so we're going to look at uh, those questions. Now, I'm going to read one passage, which is Revelation 22, 1 through 5, but we're going to talk about other passages, and we'll not turn there, but I'll mention them in throughout our studies with a lot of other passages as well. So first of all, let's read 22, 1 through 5, because it does tell us some things about heaven itself. Verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, it's significant for one of our questions tonight, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, so the curse is removed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Verse 4, they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Verse 5, and night will be no more. They will not need, uh, there will, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, that, that gives us a few clues of what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's get started with the four questions and, and, and see if the Bible gives us some, some other clues as we talk through here. First of all, number one, will we know each other in heaven? Will we know as we're known? Will you know me as Greg? Will you know me as pastor? Will, how will you know me in heaven? Oh, there, there goes my pastor. No, or is that just Greg? Or I, will we know each other in, in heaven? And I think there are four passages primarily in the Bible that tell us we will know each other in heaven. I believe we will. Uh, one passage is, you remember Jesus gave the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Both died, both went to their immediate abodes. One went to hell, one went to heaven. Uh, and they both were known there as they were known here. You remember Abraham was talking to the rich man and he said, Son, don't you remember the past life, how you had it good and Lazarus didn't have it so good. He was a beggar. And so he brought up to him the past life and even called him by their name, Lazarus. That so was his earthly name. I think that passage, you say, well, it's a parable. Well, a lot of theologians don't think it was a parable because it doesn't follow the same parabolic form Jesus usually used for parables. And never in any parable did he give a proper name, somebody's proper name. Uh, so don't think it's a parable. So if it's not a parable, it must have been an event. And if that's the case, that tells us right there that we'll know as we're known in heaven. Second passage, Matthew 17, 1 through 8, Jesus, the disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and appearing with Peter, James, and John and Jesus were Moses from the Old Testament and Elijah from the Old Testament representing the Law and the Prophets. Uh, well, they lived thousands of years before uh, the disciples, but they all knew them. They knew immediately it was Moses and Elijah. How'd they know? They had never met them before. They just read about them like we've read about them. But they immediately knew who it was, Moses and Elijah. 
There was no introductions. They knew. And so that was a foreshadowing of heaven. Jesus' body became transfigured before them. So, and they knew each other. So that shows maybe we will know each other in heaven. Luke 24 is the third passage. Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're walking out there. And they didn't recognize Jesus at first. But later on they did. And they recognized him as Jesus. He even said to them, it is I myself. And they go, oh, of course. So they recognized Jesus in his glorified body that he took to heaven with him at the ascension. So they recognized him there. And the last one is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, where Paul is writing and he talks about how now we see through a glass dimly, we'll know more in heaven than we know now, and we will know, he says, as we are known. So it says out very plainly, in heaven we will know as we're known. So I will be known as Greg in heaven and you will be known as, as who you are. But think of other things throughout Scripture. Jesus dealt with people after his resurrection based on his previous knowledge of them. Think about that now. Remember, he's resurrected. He's in his glorified body. And he sees Mary. And he says, Mary. He called her by name. That's how he knew her before the resurrection. Same with Peter. Same with Thomas. Same with the disciples. So, Jesus called them by name after he was already in a glorified state. Uh, Jesus called people in heaven by name. Abraham in heaven, Isaac, Jacob were all called by name in heaven. That's how they were known down here. They have a new, new they call them by their own name. Uh, and that's in, that was in Matthew 8, 11. In Revelation, we studied earlier where the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples' names are on the city of heaven, and it was their names as they were known down here. So everything in Scripture points to the fact we're going to be known in heaven just as we are known here. But, but think a little further with me. If we're not the same person in eternity that we, are, that we were on earth, then the judgment's meaningless, right? Because we're judged based on our deeds here. How could someone be held accountable if you're somebody different in heaven? And so the judgment would be meaningless. Rewards would be meaningless. Because if you're known differently in heaven than you are here, why judgment, why rewards? So absolutely we're known there as we are here reincarnation is what teaches you that you're a different person there and the bible does not teach reincarnation so i believe consistently throughout the bible we are taught we will know each other in heaven your loved one that's already died you'll know them you'll know them just like you knew them down here and that gives us peace, that gives us comfort to know that whenever you lose someone on earth and they were a believer, you don't really lose them because you get to go see them again. So we will know each other in heaven. Question number two, we'll talk a little bit more about this. What's going to be in heaven? What will be there? What's it going to be like? Well, let's, let's talk about several aspects of heaven. First of all, let's talk about space and time. 
Now, I've always heard as a boy growing up that once you get to heaven, time will be no more and space will be no more. You can travel, you, you, you know, you're not really in one location. Some people say space and time are earthbound and those are going to pass away. Here we are limited, finite beings living in space and time. But when we get to heaven, man, you can just float. You don't have, you're not in a space and time. But does, does Scripture really teach that? Not really. Every aspect of the new heaven and the new earth will be greater than our present heaven and earth. Our, our heaven's not less than here. It's better than here. Uh, the new Jerusalem is going to be greater than the present Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem is pretty cool to be in. But the new Jerusalem is going to be even greater than this one. So, I, I guess we have to assume that there will be billions of stars and planets just like we have here. So, the curse is going to be removed. We just read that in the passage there. So, it appears we'll have a new universe there like we do here. In this universe, we're in space and time. Um, the new universe will be ours to inhabit, as we inhabit this. Travel that will rule as well. In this new universe, will there be galaxies and planets and dwarf stars and neutron stars and black holes and quasars? We have those here. Would we have them there? Well, remember God, after he created them, he called them very good. They weren't a result of the fall. They were there before mankind sinned. And so if they were considered good here, why would there not be creations like that there in the new heavens and the new earth? Think about what we're able to do under the curse. Under the curse, we've been able to walk on the moon, haven't we? We've been able to put technology on Mars. What are we going to be able to do with a perfect mind and creativity and body? What are we going to do with resurrected minds and unlimited resources and complete scientific cooperation and no more death? Will, will we be able to reach distant galaxies and explore them? Why couldn't we? Heaven must be a place of open-mouthed awe for us when we get there. Listen to what Scottish novelist George MacDonald, he had a daughter who died. She got a disease and was slowly dying. And he wrote her a letter right before she, she passed away. And he said this, I live expecting great things in the life hereafter. Whenever you and I have a universe of our own and be good children in the great house of our Father. Can't wait for that, honey. Darling, you and I will have grand liberty there where Christ makes us free. He will open his hand to send us out like white doves to range the new universe together. Wow. So are we space-bound and time-bound was Jesus in his glorified body. Remember Luke 24, 39, whenever in his glorified body, he said, touch me and see, 
I'm not a ghost. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And that was the same body he took to heaven with him that John says we're gonna, our bodies will be like his. It's not some ghost-like body. It's very much a body like here. So in heaven, can we be a thousand different places and doing a thousand different things at once? Of course not. We can't now. Those are attributes for the creator, not the creation. Even angels and beings in heaven don't know everything. Only God knows. Only he's omniscient. So will we know everything? No, only he knows everything. Can we be at every place at once? Even Jesus wasn't after the resurrection. He was in one place at one time. Garden of Eden has space and time even before the fall came. And even Jesus in a resurrected body was not in two places at once. So it appears the resurrection does not eliminate space and time. It redeems it. Let's talk about time a little bit. Will there be time in heaven? Well, I've always heard no. Because 2 Peter 3, 8 says, One day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is one day. Does that mean we're not going to have time in heaven? It's not what it says. Abraham Kuyper said, quote, What a relief to know that time will be no more, and heaven will be a place where time stands still. End quote. Is he right? Well, is that biblical? Wait a minute, Pastor. Revelation 10, 6 says there will be no more time. But the word used for time there means delay. And in that context, he's talking about Jesus acting at that moment, not later. So it meant there will be no more delay. Does it ever say there will be no more time in heaven? Will our hymns say that? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more. But does the Bible say that? No. In fact, Amazing Grace might have it better whenever it says when we've been there 10,000 years. Here are some verses that seem to reference time in heaven. Listen to these. Revelation 6, verses 10 and 11. Remember, the martyrs in heaven ask, How long, Lord, how long before you avenge us? And he says, Wait a little longer. What's time to them? They must have a concept of time. What about Revelation 7, 15, where it says God's people serve him day and night? What about Revelation 22, 2 that I just read a moment ago? The, the fruit of the, the tree of life yields fruit every month. Do we count months in heaven? I guess so. What about Revelation 8, 1? There was silence in heaven for about half an hour and then the last trumpet. So they marked off half an hour in heaven. And Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23 says, talking about the, end, the, 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 new, the new heaven, new earth, there will be from one new moon and Sabbath to the next new moon and Sabbath. Wait a minute, new moons and Sabbath requires time and months. A calendar. 
So those seem to indicate maybe there is time in heaven. Time isn't a part of the fall, is it? In fact, after the sixth day of creation, it's followed by rest. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world, but they had a sun that rose and a sun that set. They didn't exist outside of time. So time is not a part of the fall. We live under the pressure of time and the crunch of time. That's, that's a problem of the curse, not necessarily time. So it appears that we will live in heaven with time, just not a slave to it. Seeing God face to face, fellowshipping with him, working on projects, exploring the universe, learning new information, but not bound by time. What else will be there? The sun and the moon? Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute, Pastor. We're told those, that we don't have those anymore. Wait a minute. Revelation 21, 23, in the passage I just read, 22, 5, and Isaiah 60, verses 9 through, 19 through 21. If you read them carefully, it doesn't say they're not there. It says we don't need them anymore. It never says they're not there. It says that, G, that God's glory will outshine. We don't need the sun anymore. If you're standing in the middle of the daytime and there's not a cloud in the sky and the sun's right above you, why do you need a flashlight? You don't. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean flashlights don't exist. You just don't need it. And so what we're told is there's no need for the sun because his glory outshines the sun. He is our light source and he's greater than the sun. Never says it's not going to be there. It just says there will be no need of it. What about water? No oceans, right? Revelation 21 says there's no more sea. John was talking about separation. We explained that as we went through that on the island of Patmos, separated from Asia Minor and those that he loved. But bodies of water are mentioned in, I just read about one, a river that flows from the throne. There are all kind of bodies of water that are mentioned. Bodies of water were on earth before the curse. And they were declared very good by God. It's a part of the original creation. So there is a river that flows from the throne of God. And it appears, as you read in Isaiah especially, there will be some of the same animals in heaven that inhabit our world. And most of them live underwater. So, will there be large bodies of water there? Sure sounds like it. Do we get to dive and snorkel without masks? Do we get to open our eyes underwater and watch God's creation? We don't know. We don't know those things. If you remember uh, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, in one of the, now this is in Scripture, it's just kind of what he's thinking about heaven. But if you think about it, he had that concept in Chronicles of Narnia that we would be able to, and animals would be able to see each other in their full beauty of creation. He had a little mouse in the ocean named Reepicheep that was just watching all the beautiful he'd never seen before underwater creatures because he was earthbound. But now he gets to see them. That's yeah, not scripture. That's just his interpretation. But there does appear to be those animals we have here that are underwater that we get to see. So there must be bodies of water there. 
What about seasons? Will there be seasons in heaven? Fall and spring and winter and summer. I don't think we have Texas summers up there for sure. <laughs> Hope not. But listen to Ezekiel 34, verses 26, 27. I will bless them. This is talking about the, the redeemed city. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The tree of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. Are seasons a bad thing? No. Are they a part of the curse? No. They were here before mankind sinned. So, just as resurrected humans like us will have eyes and ears and feet, it appears the new earth will still have rain and snow and wind. Appears to be that way. Showers. Maybe a crisp fall or a cool summer or blankets of snow in the winter or smell of spring rain. Those are all good things, aren't they? Why would they, we have them here and not there? So there appears that you have things like that there. It's a place. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not some floating entity out there. You're sitting in a place. You're in a place. And heaven's a place. A very real place. Just a redeemed place. No more curse. Question number three, what will daily life be like? Well, we, we don't know, but there, there are passages that may give us clues. Um, will we rest in heaven? I think that's a pretty easy answer. We're told, uh, Hebrews 4.11, make every effort to enter that rest. So I think it's pretty safe to say we know we're going to rest in heaven. God rested on the seventh day. Uh, before sin entered the world, and he prescribed rest for Adam and Eve. Um, he also prescribed it after the curse. So rest was before the curse and after the curse both. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, you who are labor and uh, weary and heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. So work in heaven appears to be refreshing, but so does a regular rest that's built into our lives. Look at the Garden of Eden before sin. What was it like? Well, work was enjoyable. Uh, the, the curse of work came that it was, was burdensome came after the sin. But before sin, work was fun. Uh, work was enjoyable. Food was abundant. Beautiful environment. Unhindered friendship with God and each other, and they enjoyed the animals. And they rested one day a week. It was built in. On earth, we don't really know how to rest, so we don't really quite value it as much. But you know, not much feels better than after a long, hard day laying your pillow on your head at night, huh? Or after working in the yard and it's hot and getting a good glass of ice water or iced tea after working in the yard, rest isn't bad, it's good. And it appears a built-in rest is going to be a part of heaven. 
But is that all we do? Will we sleep in heaven? Well, some people say, we don't need to sleep because our bodies are perfect. We can say that about eating too, but we eat in heaven. Passages are pretty clear on that. Sleep is not an imperfection. It's God's plan for us, for living human beings and human bodies. While we're here on earth, it's one of earth's great pleasures to sleep. So if we eat in heaven and work in heaven and serve in heaven and laugh in heaven and worship in heaven and walk in heaven and play in heaven, why wouldn't we sleep in heaven? Never told it's not a part of it. Will we work in heaven? That idea seems foreign to a lot of people that we will actually work while we're up there. But remember, work was not a part of the curse. Just how we felt about it was a part of the curse. But work was a part of the Garden of Eden, and they loved it. They tilled the ground. Now, Thomas Aquinas, who is the primary theologian who influenced Roman Catholic theology, says there will not be work in heaven at all. In fact, heaven is not even a place. Thomas Aquinas said, quote, it is a place of motionless absorption. So you just close your eyes and you absorb things around you for eternity. Boy, that sounds really fun, doesn't it? <laughs> Scripture paints a different picture than that. Not a place of motionless absorption. Listen to the passages that affirm working. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, abound in every good work. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. It's to please the Lord. Colossians 4, 17, see to it that you complete the work God gave you. Titus 2, 7, you are an overseer entrusted with God's work. And then Matthew 25, 23, when you get to heaven, you remember what the, well done, good and faithful servant. We always stop there. What do you say next? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. What are we going to rule over? So will we have, will we have work in heaven that will just be fun? What kind of work? I don't know. Be kind of cool to build a cabinet with Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, wouldn't it? He's a carpenter. Be kind of cool to build a cabinet with Jesus, wouldn't it? He's a carpenter. Be kind of cool to sew with Dorcas or make clothes with Lydia or tend sheep with David. Or design a tent with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. Or sing with Fanny Crosby. That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Or Isaac Watts. Or talk theology with Polycarp and Augustine, John Calvin. Or even talk theology with Jesus. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? We don't know what work's going to be like. We assume our work will be joyful and fulfilling and giving glory to God. It's what he, kind of work he gives us here. Well, we have homes there. Well, John 14, 2 says, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
and I'll come again to get you to receive you that where I am you may be also. So what that sounds like, separate or, or what we've, I think what we've always thought heaven to be like, oh, everybody has a mansion. We have these separate, massive dwellings on separate estates. But it's probably more like from Jesus' wording there that we have separate dwellings on a single estate. Because he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that's singular, and in that place are many mansions, plural. So it sounds like different dwelling places single estate. So it sounds like. So every residence is identical, right? Well, is every person identical? No. God made us all different. I assume our dwellings will all be different that tailor for us. Um, it'll be home. Nothing like home, is there? Love to travel. Sure like to get back home, though. And heaven's a place where you enjoy and explore. But it's always home. Will we learn in heaven? Oh, no, pastor, there's no need to learn. We'll know everything. Hold on. Only God's omniscient. Not his creation. Not even redeemed creation is omniscient. So there will be things we don't know. Listen to Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. In light of heaven. Paul said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace. And the word show there means to reveal something you didn't know. Will God be revealing things to us in heaven we don't know? It appears like that. Can you imagine sitting at Jesus' feet like Mary did as he reveals one thing after another to you? It appears to be a place where we learn. Well, the last question, what keeps heaven from being boring? Well, sadly, it's a prevalent myth that heaven will be boring. I don't know why people think that. Strumming harps and polishing streets of gold, that doesn't sound real exciting, so probably that's why it's the picture people have of heaven. But that's a common misconception. And the conception is heaven's going to be, I mean, hell's going to be fun and heaven's going to be boring. I've heard people say that. I've heard lots of people say that. Well, I, I don't want to go to heaven and sit around like a church service all the time. I'd, I'd rather go to hell and be with my buddies and drink beer and shoot pool. Boy, that's a, that's a misconception, isn't it? Actually, it's the other way around. Hell is the one that's lonely and isolated because you're not with other people. You're alone. No friendships or fellowship. Hell's the boring place. Heaven's the place of activity. Science fiction writer Isaac Asimov wrote this, quote, I don't believe in an afterlife, so therefore I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or worse than that, fearing heaven. For whatever the tortures of hell are, I think the boredom of heaven's even worse. 
Satan's behind that thought. So how do you know Satan's behind that thought? Revelation 13, 6. It says Satan's strategy is to, quote, blaspheme God, slander his name, and his dwelling place. So Satan slanders his dwelling place to make us think, oh, it's boring. You don't want to go there. Nothing going on. You just sit around and absorb stuff all day. But really, everything good and enjoyable and refreshing and fascinating and interesting derives from God. David wrote in Psalm 1611, listen, in the presence of God, there's nothing but pure joy. So our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy comes directly from God. He created our taste buds and our adrenaline and our drives and our nerve endings that convey to our brain pleasure. Satan didn't create those. God created those. So everything you find interesting and stimulating and fun and joyful doesn't derive from hell. It derives from God. So when you go to a place where God is absent, that's where boredom and unfulfillment comes in. Our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God whom we accuse of being boring. Are we so arrogant as to believe that human beings came up with the idea of fun? Joy? No. Well, won't it be boring all the time to be good all the time? I had somebody tell me that one time. Well, if you're good all the time in heaven, that's boring. And the assumption behind that statement is, sin's exciting. Being good's boring. You know, a drug addict is convinced that without drugs, they can't live a happy life. But the fact is, you and I and everybody else can see you're not happy. You're miserable. I wouldn't want to be like you. So freedom from sin, the fall and the curse, will mean true freedom for us. Life as God intended it to be. There's no greater joy than heaven, folks. No boredom. Nothing but pure exhilaration that comes from a God who designed it. I want you to listen to Mark Buchanan. He wrote a book entitled Things Unseen. He said, why won't we be bored in heaven? Because it is the one place where both impulses that we have to go beyond and to stay home are perfectly joined together and totally satisfied. It's the one place where we constantly discover and everything's fresh and possessing the thing that is as good as pursuing the thing, but yet our yearning for home is always there and always satisfied. It's the one place, Mark says, where the ah of deep satisfaction and the aha of a new discovery are perfectly met. Heaven. 
And that's why it's heaven. Because the God who designed both is the God who lives there. Yes, in the presence of God, there is nothing but joy forevermore. So, those are the questions that you had about heaven. The best I could answer from the passages that and maybe give us and close your insight into it. We don't know for sure on all these, but there are some passages that maybe seem to indicate. Uh, tell us just glimpses, bits and pieces about what heaven will be like. If you have any other questions or comments, feel free to email me or see me afterwards. But we'll, we'll go ahead and pray and close. God, thank you tonight. We don't understand everything about heaven, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But, Lord, some of the passages that you give us give us clues into the fact that it's going to be a tremendous place, a place we can't comprehend. Most of all, a place with you, where you are. That's where we will be. And, God, that alone satisfies us, but everything else will just be added to it. So, Lord, thank you that in Jesus Christ you've made a place like this possible where we can be redeemed from our sins and we can be declared the righteousness of God where we can enter holiness and perfection with you. Thank you for what you teach us. And now, Lord, in the weeks to come as we open up your word together, I pray you'll continue to teach us from your word what you want us to know. Help us to be faithful as long as we're here to you, the best of our ability. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you Sunday.